Well, amen. I am excited to dive right into today's message as we continue our series in the meantime. If you missed one of those first two weeks, I would really encourage you to go back. Uh, this is a series that uh, really was designed for such a time as this, and we have really been benefiting uh, from this study as what do we do when there's really nothing we can do? And that's the question we've been trying to answer um, as we've gone through this. So if you missed one of those first two messages, uh, this series, more than maybe some others, is somewhat progressive. So I'd really encourage you to go back, watch or listen to uh, the first week and the second week if you missed one of those. Um, and you can find those on our website. Uh, we have the audio up there. Uh, just go to linwoodchurch.org and click on the media tab. Or you can go to our Facebook page and the videos section and find the messages there. But just a quick recap, we started a couple of weeks ago um, with this idea of the meantime being that time when you're not really sure what to do, you don't like most of the options that you have, and it feels like all of them are kind of bad. And so uh, we talked about this new normal and how typically uh, when we go through the meantime, we could feel a little bit more alone. One of the blessings, if you want to call it that, of the current meantime moment is that we're all in it together, that we are all facing this global pandemic and the economic disruptions and the personal disruptions and the social disruptions that go along with it. And I was reminded in this past week that while we're all in the same storm, we're not all in the same boat. And so it's good to keep in mind that even though we're all going through a meantime moment, some are facing challenges uh, that are unique to them in their situation. Others were already sort of in the meantime before this season of COVID-19 began. And so it's critically important that each and every one of us remember that God is not absent, he's not apathetic, and he is not angry in the meantime. That was our big idea or our bottom line from week one, because we're tempted in the meantime to believe certain lies, lies like nothing good can come from this, I'll never be happy again, or there's no point in continuing. And the truth is that God is with us, that he cares for us, and that he is pleased with us who are in Christ in the meantime. And so that was our first week, kind of launched us out. Last week, we looked at the idea that there is a purpose and there is a promise for the meantime and for the difficulties that we go through in the meantime moments of our lives. And this is really important for us, especially us who live in sort of what we would call a Western mindset, a Western way of thinking in the United States, Europe, some of the, the more modernized countries or who have been modernized for longer, we have this idea that things ought to work out the right way, the right way as we define it. And so we don't necessarily expect suffering. We don't necessarily expect adversity like others around the world may and I've been in foreign countries where there was a level of poverty that we just don't even comprehend in the United States. And adversity and suffering were expected, and they were handled with great joy, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And so because we're susceptible to this way of thinking that, uh, that things really ought to work out, when it feels like things are not working out, we are in very grave danger 
of just believing those lies, of concluding that God is not with us and he is not for us. And that is why our bottom line last week was that trusting in God, trusting God in the meantime, can turn a breakdown into a breakthrough. And that believing that he is with us and he is for us will help us to not simply go through the meantime, but to grow through the meantime. That's a choice that we have. And we're going to kind of pick up that theme again today, choosing growth in the meantime, and continue that theme of expecting adversity. Because uh, as Andy Stanley has said, the Bible never presented a God who doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. Instead, we see in the gospel that the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. And that's what we've just celebrated with communion, that the worst possible things happened to the best possible person so that the best possible thing could happen to each and every one of us. And so that is the reality that we face. And our response in the meantime should reflect or mirror what those disciples did. They chose to believe. They chose to believe And that is what we should choose as well. And the message is titled, Believe It or Not, because believe it or not, it all comes down to belief. We've referenced John 3.16 several times as perhaps the most recognized verse of Scripture. Maybe even one of the most recognized statements or familiar statements in all of literature. Saying that, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It really does all come down to believe. And there's a lot of places we could camp out in Scripture. There are a lot of messages in Scripture about this. There are Old Testament messages. There are New Testament messages. There are messages in the Gospel and in Paul and in the other writers of the New Testament. But I picked one passage in particular because of who wrote it. It was a man named James. And James had a very, very famous brother. Any idea who that would be? It was his older brother. And you could make a case that it was his half-brother, but we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the James who was the brother of Jesus. And he writes the New Testament letter of James, and it's unique in one respect that James was not what we consider an apostle. He was not one of the twelve. He was a brother of Jesus, but he's conspicuously absent from the Gospels. The brothers are only really referred to as a group. And we don't really see or hear much about James until the crucifixion. And so he wasn't really quoted ever in the Gospels, but he shows up at the crucifixion and he becomes a prominent figure in the church. And some have speculated that James might just be the best evidence we have that Jesus really was the Messiah. Because what would your older brother or older sister have had to do to convince you that he was the son of God? That's what happened with James. And while he didn't necessarily believe or get on board with things during Jesus's life, it wasn't the miracles, it wasn't the wonderful teachings, it wasn't the truth or the authority with which he spoke. There was an event that changed 
changed James's mind and caused him to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ. And that event was the resurrection. You see, James had a personal encounter with the risen Lord, and it caused him to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. And James gave the rest of his life to following Christ and following the church, and he suffered enormously for that decision and was the recipient of great persecution. And he writes something at the beginning of his letter to the churches that is so profound and is so uh, so powerful if we will lean into it and receive it for what it is, understanding who wrote it and the circumstances in which he wrote it. And so if you turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, we're going to focus on these uh, verses this morning. And it's really interesting to consider as you hold your Bible in your hand, you have access to something that the brother of Jesus wrote to you. How many pieces of literature can make that claim? And so if you're going through a tough time, there is something that you must believe, something that James wanted you to believe. And even though it's hard to believe, I want to encourage you to lean into this with an open mind. Here's what James says in verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, if you're not a believer, you're thinking, I see, I knew it. They're all crazy. Why would you ever consider it pure joy? Not partial joy. Not, we're not talking about a silver lining here. James is saying, consider it pure joy. Whenever, not most of the time, not some of the time, not occasionally, not one out of two or one out of three or one out of five times, but whenever, every time you experience a trial, consider it pure joy. And he references trials of many kinds. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. We know that, that trials take on many different forms, many different uh, f- functions in our lives, uh, many different areas of life we can experience a trial. We've hit on some of those, that there are financial trials, there are relational trials, there are health trials that we go through. But I want to submit to you that there are two main kinds of trials that you could divide up most of the trials we we face. And the first one is pretty obvious. The second one is a little more counterintuitive. The first type of trial that we go through are the surprise challenges of life. That there are things that catch us off guard that we were not expecting and they catapult us into a challenge or a trial or a testing of our faith. Peter had these in mind when he said in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So even Peter was saying that these types of trials, though they're surprising and they're challenging, they are to be expected. And even though we're told to expect them, we don't see these coming. Nobody expected the last six weeks a year ago or even six months ago. This was very unexpected to be in the middle of a global pandemic and all of the areas of our lives that that has touched. It caught us off guard. 
I remember that first week when we made the decision on, on a Saturday that we needed to move to an online-only service. And how were we going to communicate that? And how were we going to pull that off? And then how were we going to improve that to make that experience better? That was a surprise trial. And some of you are facing surprise trials related to this, like losing hours or losing jobs or losing income. And you're faced with very difficult decisions in the midst of this fiery ordeal. That's one kind of trial. But there is another kind of trial, perhaps a more subtle kind of trial that we face. And these are the trials of our daily lives, daily events, little trials that come up just in the course of a normal day. And I think perhaps this is what Jesus had in mind when he said in Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Or some uh, translations say faithful with the little things. I will put you in charge of many things. Or I will put you in charge of greater things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And these are the little trials of everyday life. When you receive an insult and you're hurt and you need to forgive. Or maybe on the other side, when you mess up and you need to ask for forgiveness. These are little trials. Did you realize that every time you get a paycheck or every time you get a direct deposit or every time you get a stimulus payment, that's a little trial. Are you going to believe that God's ways are better than our ways? Are you going to believe that it is best to tithe and to be generous with that income and to save some back for a rainy day? Or are you going to spend everything on yourself? These are little trials that pop up in the course of our daily lives. And many of these things that fall into the first category, the fiery ordeals, they launch us or catapult us into the meantime in a very surprise fashion. One of my favorite songs has a line in it that caught me the first time I heard it. It said, we're all one phone call from our knees. We're all one phone call from our knees. And each and every one of you can imagine a phone call that you could receive that would bring you to your knees. We're all one phone call from our knees. And the fiery ordeals of life that do come on occasion can catapult us into the meantime. But some of the times that we find ourselves in the meantime are more a result of an accumulation of failed daily trials. Thinking back to our financial or our stewardship example, that a failure to practice good stewardship over time can put us into a meantime experience financially, where we're facing bankruptcy or the loss of our home or or foreclosure or something like that. Or our relationships can suffer from failed daily trials. How many marriages can we think of that fail because not a, not a big catastrophic event took place, but because day after day, two people chose not to extend forgiveness, not to ask for forgiveness, not to be kind, not to be considerate. And so it is both and, it's not either or. And as we move through the meantime, James is saying to us, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Why? Well, we get to that in verse 3. Because you know, not you think, you know, you know this intuitively, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
James is basically saying that trials put your faith on trial. Trials, the little ones and the big ones, put your faith on trial. Do you really believe what we say we believe? And if we're not careful, trials can put God on trial. That's one of the subjects we've been talking about here in the meantime, that we question God or we question his goodness or his faithfulness or his sovereignty in the meantime. And the question becomes, will you continue to believe? As our, tests, as our trials test our confidence in God, the question is, will we choose to believe? And if the answer to that question is yes, then the trials develop persevering faith, which Scripture tells us is of greater value than gold. That when our faith is tested and is proven genuine, then we have a persevering faith. We have a faith that has been tested and is a faith that can be trusted. Andy Stanley again puts it this way. He says, Faith that results from getting a yes from God is nothing compared to faith that gets no answer or gets no foreign answer, but endures anyway. Think about that for a minute. The faith that results from getting a yes from God is nothing compared to the faith that gets no as an answer or gets no answer from God and endures anyway. And so James continues that perseverance must finish its work so that, always pay attention when you see a so that, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you would like to be mature and complete not lacking anything. How would you like to be able to describe yourself that way in God's image? That I am mature and complete, not lacking anything. Or would you like that to be your reputation among your closest friends? Oh, you know, he's mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, if that's the case, then we're going to have to get persevering faith in order to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We're going to have to face some trials. But perseverance must finish its work. We must continue to persevere. We must continue to believe. Don't bail out in the meantime. Don't hit the eject button in the meantime. Don't run in the meantime. Don't quit. Don't hit the alcohol button or the lie button. Don't compromise your integrity in the meantime. Instead, hit the trust button, hit the faith button, hit the belief button, hit the perseverance button, and let it finish its faith. Because God has a vision for your life, and God's vision for your life is that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so we must allow the fiery ordeals and the daily trials to build our faith, to increase our faith, not to break it down, not to decrease it, but to build it and to increase our faith. And one way of thinking of this as we think about these fiery ordeals and we think about these daily trials is to imagine a hunk of common steel, in my hand, just a, a chunk of steel. It's not worth that much. You can buy a ton of it for, for less than $100, so a pound of it is not worth that much. But you have this, this chunk of common steel. And if you 
subject that to fire, if you take that to, uh, to a refining process and you heat that up and it changes form into a liquid form, as it undergoes trials in our example here, the, the impurities, the dross, the things that make it just common steel will be melted away and will be carried away. And what will be left will be of greater value. And if it's further refined, it can even be turned into stainless steel where it's harder and it won't tarnish and it won't rust. And if you take it beyond that and you make it even harder and you make it even stronger and you make it even more refined and put it in the hands of a master craftsman, you can create tiny little springs that would go in a Rolex watch or in fine jewelry. And a pound of those is of infinite value. And so as we go through these meantime experiences, as we face these trials that are intended to build our faith, if we will just persevere, we find that our bottom line is true. You must endure to mature in the meantime. You must endure to mature in the meantime. You must endure the daily trials and the fiery ordeals that come your way in the meantime. And as we do, Perseverance finishes its work and we do become mature and complete in the meantime because God will use what he does not remove. God will use forever what he does not remove in the meantime. And so there's a prayer you can pray and it's based on verse 5. Verse 5 tells us, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. And the prayer that you can pray based on that verse is a prayer for wisdom. It's a prayer for the ability to see your current circumstances through God's eyes. Do you realize that God's thoughts are not your thoughts? Most of my thoughts have some degree of uncertainty to them, but God knows all things from all time, forever. He has not learned anything. He already knew it. So his thoughts are not the same as our Thoughts. And when we pray for wisdom, when we ask for wisdom, as James encourages us to do, then we are asking God to let us see things from his perspective. And his perspective is an eternal perspective. It's an accurate perspective. And so this prayer that we can pray in the meantime is this, Heavenly Father, I believe you will use this, whatever this is, whatever circumstance this may be, until you choose to remove this. Grant me the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say in the meantime. And I want to give you a moment. I'm going to leave that up on the screen for a minute or so. I really want you to go and get a piece of paper and a pen if you don't already have it. Write that down. Put it on a sticky note. Put it on an index card. Put it somewhere that you will see it on a regular basis. And each day you can pray a prayer that says, Heavenly Father, I believe you will use this until you choose to remove this. Grant me the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say in the meantime. Take a moment and write that down right now. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to write that down, and then we'll finish up this message.
All right. So if you need a second to finish that up, finish that up. If you need to take a screenshot or take a a picture with your camera, uh, make sure that you write that out and you put it someplace you'll see it. Maybe even put it uh, with your Bible and, and read that every day and pray that prayer every day. And as we close this, we see some very, very practical advice from James. In verses 6 through 8, he tells us when he asks, when you ask for wisdom from God, you must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's basically saying, just believe, believe, trust at the deepest part of you that God is who he said he is, that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is with you, that he is for you, that he exists, that he is not absent, he is not apathetic, he is not angry in the meantime. He is with you. He cares for you. He is pleased in you as you seek to follow him in the meantime, as you seek to see things from his perspective, as you come to him for wisdom each and every day, asking him to show you how to see this from his perspective. Don't take your eyes off of him in the meantime. Believe and not doubt. I have to wonder if that phrase, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, I wonder if that was a jab at Peter. You might remember the story from the Gospels where Peter steps out of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus. And we're told that as he was looking at Jesus, he was walking on the water as well. Peter was walking on the water in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of difficulty. Peter is out on the water walking towards Jesus. And it's not until he looks looks at the wind and he looks at the waves and he gets distracted that he starts to sink and he cries out to Jesus and Jesus saves him. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus in the meantime. Don't take your eyes off of God, of a faithful God, a God who is up to something good in the meantime, a God who has a purpose and a promise in the meantime. Because we must endure to mature in the meantime. We must endure to mature. We must allow perseverance to finish its work. We must receive wisdom from God, the ability to see as he sees, and the strength to do as he says in the meantime. We must endure to mature. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the difficulties that we face and we ask you for the grace to consider those as pure joy because we know not because we think but because we know that they are producing in us a faith that has been tested which is a faith that can be trusted pray, God, that you would enable us and empower us to endure and to mature in the meantime. We thank you for your spirit, which is with us. Remind us to look to you and to say that prayer together. God, we believe 
that you will use this until you choose to remove this. Give us the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say in the meantime. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.